You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 51. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth Van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. I'm very happy to welcome Steve Ranford, Senior Scientist at AgResearch from New Zealand today. Steve, how are you? It's good to have you on the show today. I'm very well, thanks Elizabeth, and thank you for having me on your show. Great. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. So I would like to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us what kind of work do you do in the wool industry? Okay, so... Um, I'm Steve Ranford. Uh, I work at AgriSearch in New Zealand, which is uh, one of the government-owned research and innovation centres. Uh, and the sort of work I do in the wool industry ranges from uh, material specification. Uh, that includes both the fibre, fibre level and at fabric level, right through to process control. And what sort of, you already mentioned a little bit about AgriSearch, but tell us a little bit more about the work that is done at AgriSearch. Well, so AgriSearch's purpose is, is really to enhance the value and productivity and profitability of New Zealand's pastoral uh, and agri-food and agri-technology sector. Um, so we partner with the pastoral and agri-food sectors to identify innovation that's needed to deliver our collective expertise to create value for New Zealand, essentially. Okay, and then that includes wool, because wool is an important industry for New Zealand. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You know, there's, um, there's still 28 million sheep in New Zealand, and they all are producing high-quality products, and so... We're looking at the productivity and quality of those sorts of, um, of functions in the uh, in the in the sheep industry. So, AgriSearch has around about a total of 616 people, um, and of those people, about 230 people are working in science. Uh, 162 in the technical area, technicians, and, and around 225 in, in non-science. So it's a, a reasonably sizable organisation, but of course, you know, textiles and bio-based products is a, a two teams uh, within that total number of people. I always wonder, wool is already such an old fibre, but why is there still, why is it still possible to do more research on wool? Don't we already know everything? Or what are you kind of focusing on at AgriSearch? Well, it is a, a, a fibre that's been around for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, the, the relationship between uh, um, humans and, and uh, farming animals like sheep is a very long and established one. But the fibre itself um, is a very fascinating fibre. It's, it's got a lot of components to it that... Um, provide all sorts of functional outcomes for people who use it, but um, also it can be uh, it can be looked at as a as a protein source as well. And so there's lots of different 
uses for the for the fiber and lots of things to be discovered yet and you say it's like a uh, protein fiber and you also used um, biopolymer earlier is that why like I always see that wool in sports and fashion has like kind of a renaissance but is that also because of some of these um, properties of wool that wool also has a renaissance in research and maybe tell us why that is the case yeah certainly it's a it's classed as a as a bio-based product and and therefore it fits into the category of renewables and the economy in New Zealand is a as a large renewables economy and by that we mean uh, all of the materials that we export come from a renewables uh, system and uh, being an agri-based economy that comes down to for example uh, pasture and uh, looking at pasture and, and uh, how, how that can be improved and maintained to, to nurture the animals from which we get um, products like wool. Um, but wool has those traditional textile and, and high quality fabric and interior um, fabrics that we use a lot, but it also can be looked at as a, as a protein and, and another material, other material sources as well. So it's a, it's a very versatile material to work with. Yeah, and we, we talked, um, I think, in one of the last episodes to Graham Ormondroid, um, who was also doing research on wool in regards to bio-based products and biopolymers. But for those listeners who haven't listened to him yet, um, can you explain to us exactly what is a biopolymer and also what is a bio-based product? Well, simply put, biopolymers are polymers that are biodegradable. So we're working in that sector of materials that are biodegradable materials. Um, we often extract these materials from all of the sorts of things that are around us uh, in terms of plants and animal fiber and so forth. Um, but just to give you an example, um, cellulose, for example, is a, is a biopolymer. Um, sugar, starch, these are all biopolymers and so they can, they can actually be um, used to research and cross-link and make different materials from what we regard as fairly simple materials that we know about on a day-to-day on -day basis. Such as? <laughs> like what would a bio, like a biopolymer then be made into? So the biopolymers, I'll give you an example, um, another example. If you think of expanded polystyrene, for example, um, that's a synthetic material, but it can be replaced by natural plant extract materials. Uh, and that same natural foam material that you make from a biopolymer is biodegradable. So the big feature about biopolymers is that they have this biodegradability which is very desirable in, in today's world. And then can gradually replace some of the synthetic products that we use. That's right. It can, mm -hmm. um, if you, with some careful 
scientific research and development, you can actually replace some of the uh, synthetic products that are around us, some of the plastics. Okay, that's that sounds really good. And what, like, tell us a little bit more about then the exact research you're working on at AgResearch. Well, I have a, a couple of uh, important areas that we're working on. The, the main one, I guess, uh, that we're tackling at the moment uh, is to do with the environment. The environment, of course, is, has got to be looked after very carefully because we, are, as humans, are growing at uh, quite a steady rate. Uh, and if we look at farming practices combined with the human growth, intensification of farming and human growth together, mean that we've got to be very careful about how we use our natural capital, that is, our water and our land. And um, we've, we're very careful about um, how we're going about expanding uh, farming practices and, and wool is part of that story, uh, but at the same time looking after the land. So at the moment, for example, we're looking at, uh, at the biodegradability aspects of wool and how they compare with other fibres, to, to give you one example. And do you already have some results that you can share with us or is that still yet to be discovered? Yes, we have produced some results uh, through some university studies earlier on, uh, some earlier results. We, it's a little bit too early for some of the later stuff that we're doing, but um, some of the earlier results show that, you know, wool's got a very good uh, propensity to biodegrade, um, particularly in what we call aerobic um, biodegradation and, and, you know, in, in, in water and so forth. So. It's a, um, you know, there's very good prospects there for, for wool. Of course, you know, if you look around at products that are similar to wool, like um, bird feathers, these are other keratin products, um, you don't see a, a massive build-up of these sorts of products in our environment, and that's because they're continually moving through the degradation uh, processes. And what would be like the ideal condition for wool to biodegrade? The ideal condition would be, well, first of all, you know, in, in the whole life cycle of wool um, as products, um, we can use them and then we can uh, downcycle the products and recycle some of the material. So, for example, if we're taking wool from interior textiles, we can actually uh, harvest some of that wool from the textiles that have already been used and then reuse them in other products. But um, the ideal conditions are, are effectively in a fairly well aerated soil environment uh, where you've not got huge concentrations of the fibre. Um, so, you know, it, it, um, it has great prospects in that direction. So basically, if you bury it in, in soil, and that would be like helping then to biodegrade the... Well, well, it, it comes if, you, if you're wanting to bury you know, large masses of the fibre in soil, that's not necessarily a, a great thing because um, that gets into a different sort of a condition. Um, but I was really referring to the more natural processes. Um, 
So what we're, we're looking at is if you want to deal with the fibre on a higher mass basis, then are there processes uh, that we can develop where we could actually uh, essentially render the wool into a, a different um, a different form, you know, even even down to chemical forms themselves, which may be useful and safe. So you're basically looking at um, biodegradation of really large amounts of wool, for example, in wool carpets, and like kind of like an industrial biodegrading. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's that's yeah, correct. So okay. you know, for example, <laughs> wool carpets. Uh, you can use a lot of the wool in carpets for for new products and, and recycle those, but there is always a certain mass that's left over and you don't necessarily want to put that as one big mass and into the soil and compress it. Uh, it's better that uh, that, that fibre is, if you like, digested in, in a process and you can make something else from it. So would that be getting us back to the biopolymers that we can then use it for something else? Uh, well, there are possibilities there, absolutely. You know, with the digestion of wool, you can you can make um, new polymers from from the uh, from the fiber. Oh, I like that. That sounds like a recycling biodegrading com combination. <laughs> that sounds quite interesting. And mm, yes, environmentally friendly. Okay, that sounds good. And is there another project that you're working on besides the um, biodegradation? Yeah, we're working on uh, on what we call wool traceability, which is effectively looking at a technologies whereby companies can trace their products um, as they move through the supply chain. So. For example, if we took wool from the North Island of New Zealand or from Western Australia, we could see uh, different signatures on the wool uh, and know where it came from. And then companies themselves, as they use this wool to manufacture products, they can also put some signatures into the wool if they wish. And um, that's their own special signature, which they can then trace as it moves along into the retailing of, of the products. And what would the signature actually be? Like, how should we imagine when you use the word signature? What, sh what would that be? Okay, so when, uh, when an animal like a sheep uh, drinks water and eats, um, it puts a particular signature in the fiber, so you, literally the animal is what it eats. Um, so we call these isotopes, we're looking at isotopes, these are what we call intrinsic markers, and you can get hydrogen isotopes and carbon isotopes, nitrogen isotopes, and um, depending on where you are in the world and, and what water is being used by the animal and the pastures being used by the animal, those isotope signatures will be different. They, they will be developed um, to different levels depending on what they're eating and drinking. And so for intrinsic markers used in traceability, uh, like isotopes, uh, they can be useful just to determine you know, the country of origin, for example, of fibre.
Mm, that sounds very interesting and also like also playing like a detective or something because it it seems like hidden but you can detect it somehow <laughs> well that's right i mean in, in fact you know in forensics uh, policing forensics this sort of technology is used a lot because if you have fibers left uh in around crime scenes or you know in cars on windows Uh, around doors, then you can actually analyze those fibers and then make a match with where that fiber came from. Okay, and that we can also do for wool. That sounds really cool, actually. <laughs> and I also wanted to ask you something you mentioned earlier, and I also read in your biography that you worked a lot on specifications. And can you maybe explain to us like, what exactly would be a specification and why are they important for the wool industry? Well, the specifications of, of the fibre are linked very closely to the end uses for the fibre. So the specifications determine what you can convert that fibre into and um, get good use from. So, for example, for a strong wools above 35 micrometers in diameter and above a certain length, um, those fibers are very good for interior textiles, you know, for carpets, for example. Um, whereas if you're down at the 18 micrometer diameter level, um, these fibers are very good for apparel. So the specification of the fibers uh, as the wool comes off the animal uh, and goes into the marketing uh, systems that we use um, is very important for the buyers to understand because that determines how they can actually um, convert the fiber into high-value end products. So specification would be like, like you said, the fiber length, micron, maybe strength, color, these kind of um, attributes would be called specifications. Correct, yeah. So these are material specifications. So, um, you know, back in the 1970s and 1980s, the material specification work that was going on in innovation companies, particularly in producer com countries like uh, South America, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, these uh, specification systems were very important to the producers because they determined the quality of their fiber and the fitness for purpose for the products that they were going to be converted into. And I understand that you were one of those researchers who actually defined like how these specifications can be measured? That's correct. So we were working, for example, on color measurement. Uh, very In the very early years, we set up color measurement um, We worked with Australia very closely on this technology and um, we were examining what the color measurements for the different types of fibers coming from different sorts of sheep, uh, what the color measurements were, were like and then how those color measurements could be used for uh, technical marketing of the fiber. And then, of course, as the technology um, was transferred to the International Textile Organization suite of uh, 
uh, standard test methods, uh, the rest of the industry learned how to use these measurements uh, in order to set up their purchasing strategies and and then how to use the the measurements so that they could make the products that they wanted. For example, um, if you wanted a nice pastel shade, then you would want a brightness of, of the colour, which was very high. Um, so the brightness determines how light a shade you can dye the wool to. So if you wanted very light shades, you needed very good colour measurements. Okay, that yeah, that's um, interesting to hear a little bit the background because I think today we use these um, test standards and the specifications like every day without actually realizing that a lot of work had to go into that um, many years ago. Yes, correct. That's right. <laughs> and, and alongside those technical standards, of course, the the uh, commercial. Uh, sectors of the industry worked very closely with the technical people in order to set in place uh, regulations uh, that really go hand in hand with those technical specifications. So there's some very quite sophisticated technology that we call spectrometry that's used for reflecting light off the fibers that can measure these sorts of things. So color was the first one, but we also use spectrometry in our wool scours and in our commercial testing laboratories to measure the amount of moisture and the amount of wool grease that's left on the fibre or is on the fibre after the cleaning processes. And those um, light reflecting technologies, they're, they're very, um, very, very good technologies to use. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to ask you one more question um, from your perspective as a researcher. What is the most fa fascinating thing about wool or maybe the most fascinating property of wool that, that's like your personal preference? The most fascinating topic is really the warmth that you can get from the fiber for the weight of material uh, that it, it uh, that it measures out as or it's it's the warmth for weight factor basically that you know that, that fascinates me you can get a very fine fiber um, and you can make a construct uh, knitted garment a woven garment and uh, this can be very light but very very warm and fairly cool climates And do you as researchers or scientists actually have numbers or like, I don't know, equations for that? Or can you actually measure that as well? Well, the, the, the sort of work that we did in that area, this, um, this, this sort of warmth for weight uh, research that was done really centered around building new machines that gave us Uh, the ability to manufacture new types of yarns that would entrap the air uh, more efficiently between the different yarns to produce that, that warmth factor and give you that luxurious feel. Um, so we can do the same sort of thing for, for both uh, apparel fibers and we can also 
manufacture machines that give a special effects for, for fibres that you walk on as well. So fibres that you have in your lounge, on your carpets and in your curtains and upholstery. So, you know, the, the warmth for weight issue really has been researched a lot in relation to development of new processing machinery. That is something I didn't know. I didn't know that was a warmth for weight factor, but I'm glad I do now. So thank you for, so much for sharing that. Now, before we come to an end, uh, what is the best way for listeners to connect with Ag Research and learn more about the work that is going on over there? Well, the listeners can use our website, uh, www.agresearch, which is all one word, agresearch.co.nz. And uh, there's a, a website full of interesting projects and and um, an introduction to some of the people on that website. Excellent. And I'll make sure to also link to the website in the show notes. Thank you so much, Steve, for your time. And I wish you lots of success with any further research that's going on with wool. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Nice Thank to you. talk to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. A lot of the work Steve and his team are doing over at AgResearch is quite complex. Therefore, I encourage you to follow up on anything that was unclear today. You can find all the links that were mentioned in today's show notes over at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 051. Once again, elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 051. And that's where you'll for sure find the link to the AgResearch website. One quick tip for you today, I have put together a Wool Calendar 2018 as a free download on my website. The Wool Calendar 2018 is a document that includes all relevant Wool dates, fairs and events throughout the year 2018 as far as they are already available. This calendar can help you plan your 2018 and get you prepared for your social media activities as well as your travel well in advance. Download the calendar over at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash bool minus industry minus calendar minus 2018. That is indeed a complicated link, so here it is once again. Visit elizabethvandelden.com forward slash bool minus industry minus calendar minus 2018. But I will also make it available on the homepage of my website so that it's much easier to find. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week and bye for now.